You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and today we are talking about one of the most difficult and interesting teams to predict in the league, the Los Angeles Clippers. No more talking about Chris Paul. No more talking about if this core has grown stale and if they can get over their playoff failures. It's a new day in L.A., a refreshing day in a way because it's kind of nice to try something different. That said, who knows how good this team is going to be? So many questions, so many interesting layers to the market, to the roster, all of that. I couldn't think of two guests that we'd rather have on more. We had Mo Dacchio. You guys know him as the former video coordinator for the Clippers in the Doc Rivers era. Also worked with the Spurs and the Australian national team. Has his own podcast at jumpball.net, regular guests. And we also had Lucas Hahn, the editor-in-chief of Clips Nation, SB Nation's Clippers site. He came on the show last year. And we talk about how different this team is. We talk about the lasting impact of the Paul legacy. We talk about the decision to not rebuild and what went into that and how it really is a lot about the market and about relevancy for a franchise that hasn't had it. And we talk about what to expect from Blake Griffin this year. To my money, one of the most interesting players in the league this year. We have no idea what to expect as him as a first option. Is he healthy? All those questions. And then we talk about the rest of this roster, including the Serbian sensation Milos Teodosic. It's a really interesting layered podcast about a team that we really don't know what to expect from them one way or the other. We don't know what they're going to look like. Those are sometimes the best podcasts where we can just sort of throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks. This is a limited upside podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We really appreciate all the five stars we're getting. Uh, We're glad that you like the show. We also appreciate some of the constructive criticism you have. So don't be afraid to tell us what you think you might want us to do better. We like hearing it. We appreciate your feedback. You can also send questions to us by tweeting at us at limited underscore upside. As you'll see, we ask a lot of these and name you on the show. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And of course, on SBNation.com's NBA page. For more team previews to go, this is number 26. But until then, this is the Los Angeles Clippers preview on the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back. Limited Upside Podcast, team preview number 26 of 30. We're talking about the LA Clippers today. And it's we got two great guests, Mo Dockiel, who's a longtime uh, guest of ours, uh, the jumpball.net, former LA Clippers video coordinator. Mo, what's going on? Not much, man. Happy to be here, Mike. And then we also got Lucas Hahn, the editor-in-chief of Clips Nation, SB Nation's Clippers site. You might remember him from last year. Lucas, how we feeling? I'm feeling, feeling good. Feeling good then, because it's interesting. It feels weird to me, at least, to be doing a Clippers preview, but we're not talking about the same core and whether they get over the playoff hunt and 
all all of that stuff. Uh, what's uh, Lucas? What's the mood of the fan base now in the post Chris Paul era at this very moment? You know, if I had to put it in in one word, Mike, I'd probably say refreshed. And I think that it it might be as crazy as it sounds because it feels a little bit crazy to me sometimes. But the fan base, more so than normally when you see a team lose a superstar player and they, you know, I mean, we've seen it in, in a ton of cases from Utah and Indiana even this summer with Gordon Hayward and Paul George. The fan base isn't down. They're not angry. And... In a way, I think because the Clippers had gotten kind of stale and stagnant and had the same core for so long, the fans are just excited to see new, fresh basketball. And there's so much emotional baggage with that old core, you know, right, Mo? I mean, it's it's the constant playoff failures, the constant, the 3-1 to the Rockets, the Sterling stuff, the meltdown against OKC. And so I can totally understand the feeling. Yeah, I mean, there's... The, the pain that's been the past few years of being a Clipper fan, you know, when we were supposed to be contenders has really been just lasting to the point that I think Lucas's word refresh is kind of perfect in that sense of this, this is something different. It's uh, this is going to be a weird probably analogy, but this is like you just got out of a long term relationship and you're dating somebody new now and all of the exciting stuff that comes with dating somebody new and, and figuring that out. And I think. That's kind of where the Clipper fans are at. I, th- I think we're going to have to see how fans feel. If they still feel refreshed when the Clippers lose, you know, 32, 34, 36 games this <laughs> season. But right now, they right now when they still can look towards, well, we could still win 50 games if everything goes perfectly. Then, you know, everyone still feels a little good. Everybody's undefeated in, in uh, right now. So nobody's uh, everybody's always optimistic, right? Yeah. yeah. So Milos Teodosic is the rebound. <laughs> Is what yes. you're saying? <laughs> yes. Okay. We went, we went to Amsterdam for the summer, and <laughs> 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 all right. Well, now that we do have time to reflect a little bit, like what exactly does does Chris Paul mean to this organization? Like, were you surprised that he left? First of all, I mean, I think there was some question. I think it was a little surprising how he orchestrated his move to the Rockets. You know, try to putting yourself back in those July shoes, like. Would you have wanted him back to, to run this back again? And now that he is gone, like what exactly is his legacy, for back of, lack of a better word, in, for this franchise? I'm not surprised he left. I just – it felt like it was time. You know, they, they've hit their ceiling. Like there was nothing more the team could have done. They were never going to beat the Warriors the way they were constructed. So I think it kind of made sense for him to go – um, he definitely did them a solid by not leaving in free agency and, and allowed them to make moves and, and get pieces. But I really think his legacy is is putting the Clippers on the map. I mean, we were a laughingstock franchise in the NBA for 20-something years. And, you know, every now and then, you know, we made the playoffs in 92 and then that we made it again in 2006 and that was it. You know, so I think he kind of put them on the map. I mean, they have... I think it's like five straight playoff appearances. He never missed the playoffs as a Clipper. And he, I think his legacy is, you know, he, he kind of made them relevant. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'll, I mean, I'll be honest. I thought that he would come back this summer, but not necessarily because it was, everything was happy and great, but just because I didn't see an opportunity that, that made sense for him to leave. And I didn't see it making any sense for the Clippers to not try to bring him back. 
But then when this Houston trade came up before free agency opened, where he was actually able to opt into his deal but still be traded, it was beneficial for all parties because it's going to make Chris Paul a lot of extra money in the long run too. Yeah. I think that, that that this did make sense for every side. It's just not necessarily something that I foresaw. And I, I agree with Mo about his legacy. I think that maybe that's a reason why Clippers fans are less upset with him than fans of other teams because fans of other teams may have had other superstars before. And the Clippers have never had a player like this. They've never had a run like this. I mean, we've t- we're talking about the five best seasons in Clipper history consecutively with this guy at the helm. And it, it is a culture change. And, you know, it, we're, I think we're going to talk a little bit later about, like, you know, is Los Angeles still a Lakers city and sort of that rhetoric a little bit. And I think that whatever incremental progress the Clippers have made in that regard is largely due to Chris Paul and how he started this culture change. In retrospect, do you wish it ended sooner? Because obviously they had a lot of every summer. It's like, do we blow this team up? And then they finally and we'll talk about how they didn't. They only half blew this team up in a little bit. But do you do you wish this ended sooner? Or are you happy that it was a couple more years or a year more than maybe it could have been? I, I was never a proponent of blowing the team up for the sake of blowing it up. I thought that you would do something if it helped you become a better basketball team. And I don't think that there was ever an opportunity on the table with regards to trade or letting someone leave and sign new free agents that would ever have improved the Clippers short or long term outlook of being a better basketball team. And to that end, I don't think that this deal um, that they made with the Rockets makes the Clippers a better basketball team. So I would have still, you know, rather re-signed Chris Paul, but obviously he had a, a say in the matter as well. But yeah, that's I'm, I don't regret that this team, that this core stayed together for as long as they did, because I thought that it was the best way to keep the basketball team as good as it could have been. This will feel better, I imagine, again. The more time you step away from this era of Clippers ball, the better it'll feel, the more that some of the disappointments, I think, will kind of be forgotten in everyone's mind. I just it's the refresh seems like the perfect word just because, I mean, every year there was so much baggage. All we could focus on was how they fell short and what they couldn't do. And again, you'll feel Chris Paul's impact in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um and you'll really see what that actually makes, what kind of difference that actually makes. Like, was that team enough to sort of activate a new fan base that actually will stick around for the long haul? That is the real test. And we'll see exactly if that's the case. A lot of people did think, though, that once Chris Paul left, it would have been a great time to just sort of start over. But that is not what the Clippers did. They instead gave Blake Griffin a big, fat contract extension. Uh, they did not let him walk. They signed Danilo Gallinari. They... Obviously, in the trade for Paul, they get a lot of guys who could help them right now. So Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, for example. They, I mean, this is a team that could have just said, you know what, let's 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 get some draft picks, let's rebuild, let's kind of do all of that, let's go at it the way that you know a lot of teams that lose their superstar would have gone at it. They did not do that. Mo, do you think that was the right decision? Yeah, I think you know it's they've made so much progress. Like they really can't just start at zero. Like it, how much better would they have gotten? Had they gotten rid of Blake as, and, and, and lost CP. Like, I don't know what would have happened next. I don't think it would become a free agent destination. I don't think guys would come flocking to wanting to sign there. I mean, maybe they still sign Gallinari, but even then that's still not enough, I think. And again, just kind of where the team has been and, and the fact that they've 
been in the playoffs and they want to keep that run going. I think you had to keep one of them. If you lost both of those guys, I mean, basically the Clippers were going to be the Clippers of old again. And I don't know how the the franchise would be able to survive after that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I definitely never thought that letting Blake Griffin leave was an option. I do think that maybe some of the subsequent moves that they made could hamper them in the long term in favor of helping them in the short term. I think that that three-year big contract for Gallinari um, that, you know, they were they were working on trying to get a non or partial guarantee in the third year because of his injury issues, and they couldn't get that done in the deal. And that's something that could affect them now moving forward in year three of this five-year Blake Griffin window that they just opened. Um, next summer, they're going to have to make some decisions on, you know, potentially big money for DeAndre Jordan and Austin Rivers. And you're putting yourself in a situation where this core that you've created this summer, while it's a nice rebound from Chris Paul, I don't think anyone especially views as a contender. And you're going to need to find ways now with limited flexibility going forward to make those upgrades. So I think that bringing Blake Griffin back was the right move. I'm a little more skeptical on some of the other ways that they spent their money. But here's the problem, right? If you're going to bring a 28, 29-year-old Blake Griffin back, how old is he now? He's 29. Let me look this up again. Things I should know before I go on the podcast. Um, he's 28. Yeah, he's 28. So 28-year-old Blake Griffin. That obviously has a long injury history, and we'll talk about that in a bit. If you're going to give him a five-year max deal, which is what it would take, obviously, to keep him because you're not going to get him for any less. If that's the first decision you make, you obviously owe it to him to – kind of build a team that can win right now. And when you do that, then you make the kind of moves that may hurt you down the road. I mean, it's almost like Blake Griffin is the original sin. So, And it's sort of like what um, what Lucas was saying. The upside of this team ain't that high. Like, it, I think they might be really fun. I think there's a chance that they win in the high 40s. I think there's a chance that they continue to be a playoff team. I think there's also a non-zero and actually a fairly decent chance that they – are injury prone and they really fall off. There's a really fine line between interesting and decent and boring and super mediocre. I mean, the line is so skinny and now you've obviously locked yourself into that. So I think it's really hard for me to divorce some of the moves they made after the fact with what they did with Blake Griffin. They kind of, they kind of go hand in hand to me at least, you know, I'm not sure there's really a scenario where you can say, yeah, let's keep Blake Griffin, but then let's be more flexible with some of our other moves. I, just, I think if you're going to be that kind of middling team that they now are, I think you just have to balance a little bit more. You know, with Chris Paul, that was always the same justification, right? Like, we've got this limited window with Chris Paul. So we're going to sign veterans. We're going to trade, you know, a protected first-round pick for Jeff Green because we want that marginal upgrade at backup power forward for the playoff run, right? You make these decisions with the short term in mind because you say we're maximizing this Chris Paul window. I'm just not sure that you can justify that as much with this team, especially because Blake Griffin, yeah, he's 28, but he's also only 28, and he's still going to be on this contract and the best player on this team when he's 31 and 32. Well, he better be. So, <laughs> You're right. So they, you know, I think they made a lot of decisions with. 28-year-old and 29-year-old Blake Griffin in mind, and in doing so, they may have done a disservice to, like, 31-year-old Blake Griffin um, and the core that will be still going around him four years from now. Yeah, I don't... I'm not even necessarily sure that Blake finishes the contract as a Clipper. I, I think this was a move... They, they The Clippers have a history lately of making a lot of short-term moves without 
really looking at the long-term ramifications. And I think that's kind of the thing with, with Blake Griffin signing him to this five-year deal, even though in the last three years, he's only played 67 games, 35 games and 61 games, you know, like he's definitely injury prone. He's getting up there in age. I don't know really kind of what they're doing as an organization, except for the fact that they just want to stay relevant. And I think bringing Blake along in that regards was something they needed to do. Um, and I think that's kind of it. Like, I just, I just don't know where they're going. And I don't think, I think at some point they're going to look and they're going to be like, if we want to make changes, we're going to have to, you know, trade a Blake or, you know, I think DJ, if things go bad this year might be on the move, you know, at the deadline, if, if things are sour and they're injury prone. So I think locking up Gallinari was a, was another weird deal. Cause that guy's really a four, but now you're, you're playing him at the, the three and it's, it's kind of awkward. Like I just think offenses are going to teams are really going to attack him, def, you know, defensively. So it's, it's just a weird situation. It's very strange. Although the, the point about relevancy though, I mean, that market kind of matters. I mean, they're the Clippers. Like relevancy is what they haven't had, you know, ever. And they're in a market where they're competing for eyeballs with a whole lot of other sports teams and especially another basketball team. And they also have uh, market factors in terms of new arena stuff going on, right? I mean, we can talk a little bit more about that later, but I'm not sure Steve Ballmer particularly wanted to bring in a rebuilding team to whatever new arena that comes. We've seen how that worked in Sacramento and it didn't work so well. And But that's also the thing. I mean, there's no one-size-fits-all sort of approach i think to to running a team in a market i think that's a big point we've really stressed in all these previews is that every every team has got their own market factors that really fact that that matter in a way that i think if you're looking at it just from a pure talent standpoint uh you're missing a whole lot of why moves are made and i think especially in this case i mean put it another way steve ballmer didn't pay two billion dollars for his team to bottom out right to touch on your point though too of like there's no one way to run a franchise it was really interesting when Doc came to the Clippers that he was trying to run it like it was the Boston Celtics. Right. And I think a lot of times we're like, we have a whole different dynamic than Boston, not just as a team and as an organization, but as a city. There's so many more distractions in L.A. than Boston. And I don't want anybody from Boston coming at me. Just stop. But we have way more stuff to do. I mean, there's just a million other distractions that go along with playing in L.A. and being a star in L.A. So I hope I think, Boston's not offended by that. There's L.A. has more things to do than like any in, any city in this country except for maybe New York. Yeah, there's an East Coast hate towards L.A. that I, you know, whatever. But it's just kind of. <laughs> I think it's a jealousy, really, Mo. It might oh, be. No. It, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> jealousy, obviously. We have the best weather, Mike. Come on. I mean, it is a little um, hot there sometimes. I'd kind of, ra- I mean, I'd take it over New York. Mike, it's been hot here for the last couple of weeks. We don't have the humidity that you guys have in New York. Like, I'm sorry, I can't survive the summers in New York. It is too damn humid. Excuse me. I'm not saying New York weather is good. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, no, I mean, the, the distraction things is such a big point. And so there is, uh, of course, on the other hand, if you're constantly kind of reaching for relevancy, you maybe aren't necessarily going anywhere. Yeah, I think the the Clippers kind of have to try to do what's the toughest thing that seems like Boston actually was very successful. Um, you know, even even Houston, you know, it's it's rebuilding without bottoming out. Same with the Spurs, who've done it for like 20 years. You know, they kind of you have to rebuild your roster 
at the same time, you know, being competitive. And the thing is with the Clippers, the reason why it never works is they constantly trade their draft picks. Right. Like you need to, you need to bring in young talent to kind of, I know you're trying to bring in veterans to stay, you know, we're going to be contenders and, and to stay in that line of, we have Chris Paul, we have a limited window, but you have to kind of try to infuse young talent into the roster some way. And that's something they've never done. And that's what makes the, the rebuilding for them so difficult. Cause right now they don't even, even with, to get Gallinari, they traded uh, the pick they got from Houston, which granted would have been in the late twenties, but it's still a first round pick. So I think it's kind of that regard of just like, you need to have those picks. You need to be able to have assets to kind of sort of rebuild while being successful. And I think, you know, they're, they're blowing their shot at that. For sure. Let's talk about Blake Griffin. I think this is a really, really difficult player to assess because we have not seen him away from Chris Paul in a long time. We also have major health issues. Mo, from an X's and O's standpoint, like what new stuff should we be expecting from Blake Griffin, assuming that he is relatively healthy, which is obviously a big assumption. If you're put on your video coordinator hat, like how would you use him? Yeah, I mean, this is it's people have been calling for it for about a year or two now, but there, this is time for point Blake, right? Um, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to use the pun point break, but, uh, <laughs> this is the, <laughs> this is the, this is the time. You for, just did. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, but this is the time for, you know, using him more as a playmaker, putting him in positions to kind of facilitate the offense, you know, and, and, and really see if he can do it or not. He hasn't, He's a good passer, but he hasn't had that role of it's on you to create for everybody else. And I think that's kind of the biggest the biggest question mark that we're going to see answered now, because this is what they got to do. Like with the roster they have, he, he's got to be one of the main facilitators of the offense and get everybody moving. And, you know, it's not just lobs to DJ, but he's got to come off picks and find the, the weak side shooter and things like that, which is something I don't think he does very well. But he'd have to improve on. So that's something you, I would expect to see the Clippers to utilize Blake that way on the offensive end. Not to be trite about this, Lucas, but like, can he actually be the best player on a pretty good team at this stage of his career, or is that asking too much? Well, I think the answer is that we don't know because we right. haven't seen it before. Right. But in theory, I think yeah. I mean, I th- I don't see why not. It's, I think that it's just a matter of you look at. There are very few guys in the league who can be the best player on a good team, and it doesn't really matter who's around them, right? Right. Like LeBron, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Blake isn't in that. He's not at that level. But I think that if the fit around him of these other guys is right, I don't see why he can't be the best player on a good team. Or you look at maybe like if a guy like Gordon Hayward can be the best player on a good team, I don't see why Blake can't. And, you know, to Mo's point – We've only ever seen him as like the guy in limited situations for a little bit in the 2015 playoffs for stretches when Chris Paul has been hurt. I think they were going to see a lot more of Blake in that four or five pick and roll that we've seen flashes of. But, you know, it's rare because Chris Paul normally had the basketball in his hands. But um, I think Mo's absolutely right. What Blake is going to have to be better at is doing something that he hasn't done a lot of normally because DeAndre is clogging the lane, but he's going to have to roll to the basket. And when he catches the ball at in that 12 to 15 foot range, he's going to have to be able to turn his head around and see the far corner and find open shooters. And we saw him do that actually 
one time um, in this last preseason game where he rolled to the basket, the help defense came through the corner, and he was able to find Sam Decker for a backdoor cut for a dunk. And I think we're going to need to see a lot more of that keeping his head up. Sometimes he puts his head down when he's in the lane and he's trying to do something acrobatic to score for himself. I think in this new role, he's going to have to keep that head up, keep those eyes open, and find guys all over the floor. You mentioned 2015 playoffs, and he was ter- unbelievable. He For a little while, he might have been the best player in the playoffs. And there have been moments, like you said, when Chris Paul's been injured, where he has been terrific and the team has been terrific. The problem is that th- that's two-plus years ago right, at this point, and however many kind of nagging injuries ago. And so that's sort of – I mean, let's say – Obviously, there's a risk that he just like cannot play more than X number of games. But I also think that those series of nagging injuries has probably changed his game in a way that is difficult for him to bring back. You know, he doesn't have the same explosion around the basket. He has to be a little more perimeter oriented. He's obviously not dunking on people anymore. Um, and he it's that's where I'm kind of curious, you know, realistically, over the course of this contract where he's now 28 and he's going to be taking until 33 what to deem that to be a fairly decent contract, Lucas, where in the pecking order of the league does he need to be? I think a lot of what he's done in the last couple of seasons when, you know, as you say, I don't think he's lost his athleticism. I don't think the injuries have taken that from him, but I think the injuries have had, and it's kind of been this way his whole career, whenever he's gotten banged up, it's had a psychological toll. And so you see his rebounding numbers you know, drop significantly from his first couple of years in the league. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I, I think it's because as he gets hurt, and if you remember in those first couple of years, what he obviously played almost every game, he w- would always have something get banged up in the playoffs, or he'd be playing injured in the back month of the season. And I think that he's, over the course of his, se- his career, gone, I'm going to push myself a little less. I'm going to coast a little more in the regular season, which is something that you know, all veterans do as they get a little older and a little bit smarter. But I think in terms of athleticism, it, you know, it's funny because it really does feel like he's lost it. Right. Until you watch, you know, you watch all 60 games that he played last season. And there are just a few moments where someone commits a hard foul on him or maybe, you know, he has a couple turnovers in a row. He's having a bad night. Someone's talking trash to him. And then all of a sudden, bam, there it is. Like, um, like it's rookie Blake again, you know, jumping over someone and then it goes away again. He's shooting mid range jumpers. I think for him to be successful on this contract, he at least has to maintain what he's done the last couple of years. I think that's feasible because even as he does get a little bit older into, you know, being 31 and 32 years old, because he's been taking it, he's been coasting a little bit more in the regular season, you know, 22 points and eight rebounds. And most of those points are coming on mid range jumpers. I think a lot of what he's doing, like in the last two seasons, is sustainable as he gets older and he loses that athleticism, which isn't something that we necessarily saw as his career um, trajectory when he first came into the league and was so reliant on that athleticism. Yeah, his his game has definitely changed, and he's now flashing a bit of a three point shot, which I feel like we talk about this every year. Like, oh, he's going to shoot threes this year, but man, he was jacking them in some of those preseason games. <laughs> he was, and maybe this year is finally the year. And you always think that that's going to happen. You make a really, really fascinating point, Lucas, about the psychological element of it, and I think the psychological and the body are so connected because you see this with a lot of players who suffer recurring injuries. Is that there are glimpses of their old form. I mean, we saw the other night Dwight Howard go coast to coast for a dunk. 
Like, that's a very much like if you only watch Dwight Howard in that moment, you're like, oh, he's still got it, that athleticism. Right. But part of the problem is that you can, whether it is psychological or physical, you only you can't call on it as often. You can't do that as often. And Vince Carter says this all the time that, the, you know, the issue isn't that he's not capable of dunking like he did in the dunk contest. That he doesn't, it hurts more when he does it afterwards and he can only do it less often. Mo is a someone who has worked with coaching staffs before with this team and with others, you know, how do you get Blake to not necessarily get over that psychological hurdle that Lucas talked about, but you know, how do you get him to forget about that and to feel really confident in his body and his athleticism to really go all out and not be afraid that if he doesn't go, if he does go all out, he's going to get injured again. Yeah, it's, that's a hard one, right? Cause that's, that's a lot of, psychology and a lot of like you got to get in his head a bit but a a funny trick I would have done as a video coordinator and I've done in the past um you'd be surprised what it is when you show guys highlights of themselves Hmm. from years past you know just a a a two-minute edit on a on a ipad of just him creating plays making shots being super athletic would be you know you'd be surprised what that does to your mind you know, watching that five minutes before you run out on the court, you know, just a, a, a small confidence boost, you know, like um, Coach Brown used to do that when we were in Australia with with guys who are in shooting slumps. That's Brett Brown, was, by the way, for anyone who's not clear, the current Sixers yeah, coach. Yeah, sorry, Brett Brown. Um, you know, but we would put together, you know, footage of guys making shots, you know, and, and you know, it may not happen in that game, but the next game or something like it's, it's a confidence boost. So I think that's kind of just maybe a, a small trick. Um, thing, but a lot of it has to come down from him, coming to him, you know, just saying like, Hey, if I want to be, I can be one of the best five players in the league, you know, on any given night, I can just step up and, and put my foot to the, um, pedal and just go and, and, and be a top five guy in the league. So, you know, I got to go do it. I got to go play like it. And I think it's, it's a hard thing to see it, 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 cause it's a psychological thing. Like, how do you dive into a guy's head like that? Um, so I, it's a difficult question to answer, but it's something, you know, that he's got to tap in. You know, he's got to show the athleticism. You know, uh, Lucas was right on when he said, you know, his rebounding numbers have gone down. And some of that's because he's, you know, stepping out and shooting more. But, you know, they he's got to average more than two offensive rebounds a game, you know. And, and, and you know, he's got to be able to get back to that 2010 guy that he was, you know, his first two years in the league. Like, that's not forgivable. You know, that he does that he doesn't if he has games where he has less than 10 rebounds like that's not getting it done. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got he's got to be more aggressive in that regards. And and I think that's where, you know, if he gets an easy offensive rebound, I mean, let's be honest, it's probably going to be a tip dunk, you know, and, and, and show off that athleticism and, and really get going. So I think, you know, it's it's a, it's a thing. It's a hard, hard thing to kind of make happen, you know, to get him to forget about the injuries and stuff, because, you know, there was a run before where it almost was like he was targeted for hard fouls. Like guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You you know, like I've made an edit before of of all the hard fouls, you know, that, that uh, Blake was getting during a season. And, you know, it's, it's not hard to, I mean, it's very hard to kind of put that out of your mind as you go up for a dunk because you're vulnerable. So I think, you know, that's, that's something that is in his mind and in his back of his back of his mind. But I think that's the stuff that, you know, you kind of got to, get out of him, you know, show a couple little highlights of him. I mean, just show the Mozgov clip on Luke. You can show Mozgov. <laughs> and if you want to change it up, you can do the Kendrick Perkins the next day. I mean, yeah. like you can just, just get him 
feeling like, yeah, that's right. I am a badass. Yeah. So if you're a Clippers fan and listening to this, the best way you can help Blake Griffin play his best is to bombard his Twitter mentions with videos and GIFs of him dunking on people. There's your action item right there. That's how you get the most out of Blake Griffin. Just bombard those Twitter mentions. Um, we'll take a little quick break for a read from our sponsor, and then we'll be back to talk about some more nitty-gritty stuff and one of the big questions, I think, surrounding this team, which is, okay, so Doc Rivers, how long is he going to be around? This is the Limited Upside Podcast. By now, everyone knows that the Dollar Shave Club ships amazing razors for a few bucks. I've been a member for a while, and I love my shave. As anyone who has listened to these previews knows, I love my shave. But what you might not know, and I sure didn't, is that the Dollar Shave Club also has products for pretty much everything else I need. Body wash, check. Shampoo, check. Hair gel, lip balm, all this other stuff you probably don't know you need. Everything. As soon as I heard Dollar Shave Club had stuff other than razors, I was sold. And this is super nice for me because it kind of embarrassed going to the store and not knowing exactly what I should be getting for all these different products. There are too many options. The clerks aren't super helpful or they, you know, they don't know the difference either. All those things. Now I don't have to worry about all that. I don't have to go to a store to get a high quality shave and grooming products. They come right to my door thanks to the Dollar Shave Club. If you're like me and sick of the nonsense at the store, now is the time to try out the Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, Dollar Shave Club is basically giving away their starter set to new members. For only $5, this starter set features their executive razor and three trial-sized versions of the most popular products that help you stay fresh and clean. In that first box, you'll receive the shave butter, body wash, and one wipe Charlie's butt wipes. Yep, you're going to need those. You also receive their executive razor, which includes the premium weighty handle and full cassette of cartridges. After the first box, replacement cartridges are sent for only a few bucks a month. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. We're back. Limited Upside Podcast. We've got Mo Dockhill from the jumpball.net, a former LA Clippers video coordinator, as well as with the Spurs and the Australian national team. And we have Lucas Hahn, the editor of ClipsNation.com, SB Nation's Clippers site. Uh, before we get into some of the nitty gritty, I do want to ask one more big picture question, which is Doc Rivers had an interesting summer. His uh, player personnel power was either voluntarily taken away or stripped from him, depending on the interpretation. He's no longer the lead decision maker. Uh, he's in the last year of his contract, or he has two more years left on his contract. He obviously came to L.A. escaping a rebuilding situation in Boston. Lucas, how long do you think he's, he is for this job? Do you think this is something he really wants to do long term and also do you think that his standing within the organization I mean you'll remember that in the post Sterling era he was the most powerful coach GM in the league and I think that's sort of taken a hit do you think it's taken a significant enough hit where maybe they would reevaluate their coaching situation if this year doesn't go well 
I think it's really, really difficult to know because of the incomplete information that we work that, right. you know, that, that we work with from the outside. But I don't think so. I, I don't think that they're going to be in a position where they say, okay, now we're going to fire Doc. I think that maybe this past offseason was the most likely time for his departure, and it didn't happen. And now it's like they've almost given him a fresh lease with this new team that he's helped put together. And I think to the point of his personnel personnel power being taken away you know a lot of it is that to the extent again we don't know whether he voluntarily gave it up you know probably not totally voluntarily but we don't know to the extent that Balmer took it away from him but the reality is all of the people that are left in the front office now making the decisions are people who Doc hired and put in those roles right and at the end of the day Doc might not be in charge of you know, dealing with agents and he might not be negotiating the details of contracts and protections on second round picks and all of that. But if there's going to be a big decision made, if the Clippers are going to do something like trade DeAndre Jordan at the deadline so that they don't have to give him an extension, I do think that Doc Rivers, I I still feel like Doc Rivers is the guy making the call, even though he's not in the front office anymore on a day-to-day basis. I just feel like he's still got that executive authority. It's very possible. And I think it makes sense to say that, you know, he's just, it's an, it's good to delegate some of the responsibility away from him and give it to someone who, like you said, Lawrence Frank is someone he trusts who's now in charge and they've really beefed up their personnel department. They hired a lot of people that NBA people understand as very smart folks. The guy from Oklahoma City, Michael Winger, uh, for example, and there are other names that I'm blanking um, on. The guy guy from Cleveland, I think, Trent Redden. Yes, Trent Redden. Trent Redden and uh, Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes. These are very well-respected people. Of course, this could cut the other way, too, where Doc now, even if he probably has more input than any normal coach would, still is in a way below someone who he hired, and that can be interesting psychologically. Obviously, we don't know what's going on, but I think that's a really interesting storyline to watch this year to see – how long? I mean, how long will Doc? Because there is a two-way street to this. You know, some of it is his own performance as a coach, but some of it is also like, how much of this does he really want? And so, I think that's a storyline worth watching this year. If the team is good and it's a energetic and new lease on life, I imagine it's going to work out really well. But if it's not, I think there's a lot of different things that could happen there. Yeah, my my antennas. I I have a different read of it than than Lucas. Um, my antennas went up as soon as they brought in Jerry West. Oh, yes, and, of course. How can we forget? Yeah, and in my opinion, it's more – and that was, from my understanding, a move from Balmer. Um, and, and I kind of looked at it that way. And this is all just my own opinions. Um, but I, I was like the clock started on Doc the second Jerry West came in because that's, that's a guy that can go talk to Balmer. For the longest time, Doc was the only NBA guy in Balmer's ear on a regular basis. And now you have guys, you know, and anybody in the organization was a Doc Pert, Doc Rivers guy. He brought in, you know, obviously it was uh, Lawrence Frank, who's now been elevated, but um, Dave Wool, all those guys, you know, were, were people that he had in place. So, you know, he was in Bomber's ear and those guys were reinforcing the message. Now you have a different guy who you're not going to tell Jerry West what message to send a bomber. Jerry West is no. going to say whatever the hell he wants to say. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's just a fact. And then they brought in new GMs that are, you know, a GM and two assistant GMs that are 
not affiliated with doc. So for me, I kind of look at it as, um, it's not as dire, but doc could be coaching for his, his, uh, life with the Clippers. This could be, to me, this could be his last year with the Clippers, just if things go bad, you know, and we're, this is going to be, a, this is a tough team to coach. Oh yeah. You know, and I mean like the, the roster is weird. Um, and, and like, you just kind of look at it going like, you have Gallinari playing a three, but he should be playing a four. But then what do you do with Blake and DJ? Like, you know, w- w- there's a whole thing and I know we're going to get into that, but it, it's a tough, this is a tough coaching job. And so this is going to be a question of, you know, there's been a question mark for a long time of whether Doc's a good coach or not. Everybody lets him skate for the run he had in Boston with the the big three. But now we're going to find out if he can coach or not. Because I think you know when a guy's a good coach is when he can do a lot with less. And this is the opportunity for Doc. It might energize him. Who knows? I, I, I just think on on most point about Jerry West, I kind of had had a different reaction to Jerry West being brought in just because I had heard immediately when the season was over that the Clippers were looking for a new general manager and that they were, um, they had some contact with David Griffin as his contract was running down with the Cavaliers. And they, you know, I think if we say that bringing in Jerry West was sort of taking power away from doc, imagine what bringing in, you know, a powerhouse full-time general manager like David Griffin would have been. So when they did make the decision to bring in Jerry West and not someone more big time, that to me read like, less of an indictment of Doc than maybe they had originally been considering. Um, and as far as Doc being the only NBA guy in Balmer's ear, Balmer's also close with um, with Bob Witsit, who was the former general manager of the um, Supersonics back in the 90s um, when they went to the finals. And so that's a guy who I think his Balmer's trying to, be, to get a lot of guidance from. Um, and maybe that sparked sort of the Jerry West decision. But to me, it just, it felt like, there was a lot of talk coming around the organization that Doc was going to be maybe totally gone altogether when last mm-hmm. season ended. And so the fact that he was able to stay in some sort of capacity and that they didn't bring in a big name full-time GM sort of suggested to me that it was almost like a little bit of a new lease for him. Fascinating. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because I could totally see both things being true. Uh, and in fact, both things may be true in a different way. Uh, it is a little bit of a new lease on life. How is Doc going to feel about that? We'll see. And it'll depend on how they're winning. Let's talk about that weird roster that Mo mentioned a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, they have – let me see if I can get this straight. They've got four four small guards in uh, Patrick Beverly, uh, Austin Rivers, Lou Williams, and the uh, amazing males, Teodosic, which we will appreciate properly. Uh, they have those guys. They have no real like kind of threes. I guess they have like pure threes. I guess they have Sam Decker. He's the only pure three on the roster, but even he's more of a three four. Gallinari is a three four. Wes Johnson's a three four. And then they have Blake, and then they have DeAndre, and then they have a bunch of centers. Uh, so it's a it's a very odd roster. Let's start here. Like, who do you, uh, Lucas? Who do you think is going to be starting on uh, opening night? So the first four starters are pretty obvious, right? Patrick Beverly. Gallinari, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. I think the last starter will be Austin Rivers. But um, one word that I've been using a lot with this guard group, those four guards that they have, is like ensemble. Um, I don't think it's going to be like your traditional starter, starter, you know, sixth man, fourth guard kind of dynamic that the Clippers have had with like 
Chris Paul and J.J. Reddick starting, Jamal Crawford's the sixth man, and Raymond Felton is the fourth guard playing 12 minutes a night. I think that we're going to see all of these guys get different opportunities. I think on nights when one person is playing well or one person has a good matchup, they'll get more minutes. But the ultimate starting debate, I think, comes down to Austin Rivers versus Milos Teodosic. And Milos Teodosic, you know, if you'll recall, is a guy who came off of the bench in Europe last year because of you know, for conditioning reasons and for defensive reasons to start the game. So I think what we saw in the Clippers' first preseason game where Austin started, he spent four minutes, you know, kind of using pesky energy against DeMar DeRozan, and then Milos Tadosic came in. I think that might be something that could be, a mo- you know, a more regular mold. And then Austin comes back in with the second unit. I just think that there's there's a lot of different ways to go. And like you said, the roster is really weird. Um, the roster construction definitely is a little flawed with this team, but there is talent there for sure. Yeah, I. Well, first off, I'm all in on Milos. Oh I, yeah. Well. I've, oh yeah. I, yeah. Me too. I'm all in on him as I really Offensive. love watching him play. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like he might be the worst defensive player in the NBA this year. As long as Isaiah Thomas is there, I think we're fine. I don't, I don't know. I think I'd still think I still think I'd take Milos over Isaiah Thomas. At least Isaiah wow. Thomas tries. Um, um, but I <laughs> but think, his passing, I think, whoosh, that is so much oh, fun. God. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, like, I've done film on him since I was in the NBA. In 2006, like, I broke down film. We put together personnel tapes of him. So, like, he's been on NBA radars forever. Uh, I think – who starts really kind of comes down to how they do offensively. If Blake's not able to really facilitate the offense the way Doc wants, and they're not able to really maximize, you know, Gallinari's ability to shoot, um, you know, DJ's rim rolls and, and things like that. I think then you got to put in Teodosic in the starting lineup. I think he should start just because I think he's their best pick and roll player. And that's how you're going to maximize Again, DJ and Gallinari and stuff. The the difference between Blake and him running a pick and roll, it's, you know, Blake does a great job finding the roller or finding something for himself. Teodosic does a great job of making all other three guys a threat. And teams have to be aware of where that weak side corner guy is, who's cutting, because Teodosic will find those guys. And I think that's a dynamic you really want in your uh, offense. And so if they start out and Blake's not able to really facilitate the offense much or really kind of get them going, you know, this isn't a team that's going to do great coming back from behind all the time. So I think, you know, you, you don't want to dig yourself a hole early. And I think as long as you have Patrick Beverly, you know, kind of playing that two, two guard and, and defending the, the point guards and stuff, I think you can get away with it with Tia Dosic a little bit. Um, problem is, of course, that entire starting lineup. I mean, Gallinari's not known for his defense. Blake Griffin's never been a great defender. You know, it's, there's a lot of question marks there. So I get why you would start Rivers to for the defensive aspect of it. But I think it's this is an offensive league now, and this is a league where you got to score, you know, 110 a night to really be competitive. I think, you know, you, you need to get going. I think you need Tia Dosich on the floor to just kind of get the most out of everybody. It's going to be a challenge because, as you guys have said, they're two of the players are great on one end and terrible on the other, and the other two are 
kind of comp. Let's just let's just say that they are not prime options on one end, but they are terrific on the other, or at least that's what they're here for. Uh, I do. We did get a lot of questions about those four players. Um, I think I'll start with this one from Min Timberwolves, uh, who tweeted us kind of about Austin Rivers. You know, punching. He's a punching bag a little bit, but um, he had career high numbers last year, and he sort of carved out a niche for himself in the league. Can he actually play? Be a, a formidable thirty-minute starting shooting guard rotation player in this league, uh, or is that over? Or is he is he not qualified to do that? You know, th- th- it sucks. You know, he he's in a tough spot just being his father being the coach. So nobody's ever going to give him the respect he deserves. Uh, I think he he definitely had career highs last year and 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 really kind of succeeded in the roles he was given. I think he can kind of continue that. I don't think he's – I think he's good, not great. I think mm-hmm. if you can find – for me, I'd rather him come off the bench anyways because I think that's just his, you know, kind of let him be a spark, let him attack the rim. Shot the ball very well from three last year at 37%. You know, he's constantly improving in that range. Again, he doesn't really find people, you know, doesn't really play make for everybody else or, or things like that. So it's really kind of – Austin's just going to go off and, and get going. I think this is the ceiling. I think this is the best Austin gets. I don't think there's another gear or another level to his game that he's going to get to. I, I, I think he plays about, you know, 25 to 30 minutes is probably fine, you know, and, and whether he starts or comes off the bench is a different story. But I think that's about his range. I think this is the best Austin gets. Lucas, the other question we got was from our old friend Joshua Broom, who was on the Thunder podcast. He asked specifically about Patrick Beverly. I mean, this is a player that has always played with elite, another dominant superstar, and he's been a great compliment. How is he going to fit in um, in this mix, do you think? I think he'll fit in fine. I think that we've seen, you know, between his locker room presence and basically the way that he leads by example defensively, he's sort of... I think continues to punch above his skill level in the NBA. He's a better player than his skill level, which, you know, is a good thing. I'm not, not necessarily an indictment of him, but I just feel like maybe a lot of people are, are saying, you know, Oh, Patrick Beverly is, is a good Chris Paul replacement. And I see maybe a lot of Clippers fans are, that are too optimistic. I think you have to look at a bunch of different guys that the Clippers brought in as each replacing a little bit of what Chris Paul does. So obviously Gallinari is brought in because he can score 18, 20 points a game efficiently in the way that Chris Paul does. Patrick Beverly is a first-team all-defensive guard in the way that Chris Paul is. And Milo Sadosic is an amazing passer in the pick-and-roll who can find open guys and control the floor of the game in the way Chris Paul does. So it's almost like if you could merge those three guys, maybe you'd have Chris Paul. Um, right. And so, I, so you, you can't, you can't, but it'll take those three guys, you know, a combined 90 minutes to do what Chris Paul did in 30. Right. And you can only um, play five people at a time. You can't, you can't have, you can't merge well, them into three bodies with a three headed monster. Unfortunately. So, so we've been working, we've been working on a rule change where maybe the Clippers could play seven, but um, okay. we'll get back to that if it goes through. Yeah, <laughs> but, six, six, um, six won't cut it. We need six seven. Won't cut it. We need seven. I bet that passes a competition committee who just wants to compete with the Warriors. <laughs> Warriors can only play five. Yeah, but imagine imagine how bad it would be to then lose that game. <laughs> so. A lot of teams will. But yeah, no, I mean it's it's gonna be really fascinating to see how those minutes break out. Also, they because they don't really have any traditional threes, they're gonna have to do a lot of three guard stuff, which is gonna be kind of 
funky and bizarre. Uh, it's going to be a real interesting question. Like, okay, when Blake or DeAndre goes to the bench, you know, does that mean Gallo is the four and who comes in? And it all is connected, and it's all going to be really odd to see. And it's funny how we haven't even talked about DeAndre Jordan just because we take him for granted. He's so consistent with what he is, and he's still there uh, too. So they all connect all of these things, uh, and I don't have a really good feel. I mean, the one thing that I think is interesting so far, and I, I'm curious if you guys think this is sour grapes or if you think there's something that is actually to this, is they're talking a lot about how the ball is actually going to move this year, implying that Chris Paul did not actually move it in the past. And how much of that is just subtweeting and like doing that thing where you break up with someone and you suddenly hate everything about them? And how much of that is legit and they can actually have a more interesting offense this year, even though they don't have someone as great as Chris Paul? Uh, I mean, Chris Chris Paul is a ball-dominant player. And he's, you know, it's funny. People think that because Chris Paul is a good passer that he's like, you know, seven seconds or less Steve Nash. I think that there's a, maybe a perception among people that don't watch him very often that he plays up-tempo and he gets on the break and he throws a ton of lobs. Chris Paul doesn't throw very many alley-oops. He doesn't run very many fast breaks. He really, he's such a perfectionist. Um, and I don't say this in a negative way because he's so good at what he does. But he's such a perfectionist that he would rather slow the game down and see everything in front of him and control every detail. And so to that extent, the game does get a little slower. The ball sits in his hands a lot more. A lot of times, especially late in games, he will dribble for 20 or 22 seconds before getting his shot off. Um, And so I I don't think that it's necessarily wrong to say that the team will play faster this year and the ball will move more this year. Now, I'm not sure um, if the player tracking stats... Um, can keep track of this or or what it'll look like. But I would bet that if, if the player tracking does keep track of this, the Clippers will have more passes in their 82 games this year than they had in their 82 games last year. That doesn't mean that they'll have more assists, and it doesn't mean that they'll have more points, and it doesn't mean that their offense will be better. But stylistically, I do think that you move a little bit away from Chris Paul dribbling for 20 seconds, Chris Paul slowing the game down. Um, and you do run a little bit more, you move the ball a little bit better. Last year, the Clippers made an average of, you know, they made more passes than you'd think, 301 passes per game. It was around upper middle of the pack. I think that was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13th in the league. And so you're saying that you think they might get up to top 10 this year. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's hard for me because I, I don't really know, like 300 passes a game doesn't really mean anything right. to me. So That's the like league, Philly the led the league with 354, Boston at 325, Oklahoma City was last with 260. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I think any time that you take the best player off of a team, you probably get more passes because it's one, you know, the one guy who did the most is now not doing the most anymore. That was a problem that the Clippers had last year. This is a little off topic, but when Chris Paul went out, guys like Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford and Raymond Felton all stepped into much bigger offensive roles where they were getting more shots. They had the ball for um, much more often. And it wasn't just that they were playing more minutes, but that they were playing a distinctly different style. And then Chris Paul came back, and I think Austin Rivers especially had a hard time adjusting back into like that complementary role from being the lead guard, scoring like 19 points a game for a month, to now going back to like catch and shoot and play defense. Um, you know, adjusting back and forth between roles like that over the course of the season can be hard. And that's the kind of adjustment that a lot of these guys are going to have to make moving forward without Chris Paul. The ball is going to be in your hands more. And now you have to go do something good with it. Right. And I think that's where, like, to go back to that Austin Rivers question, 
like he's going to have to create for other people. And, and that's what I don't think he has in his game. And that's, that's kind of the problem with this roster a little bit. They don't have enough guys that can, can create or are willing passers. Um, everything Lucas said though, was a hundred percent right in that regards of, you know, Chris is a Paul dominant guy. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with them saying we're going to, the ball is going to move a lot more this year. And you're right. It's not necessarily going to mean they're going to be better or more wins or score more points, but it's just going to move more. Um, and it, it may not even, the numbers may not even reflect it. It just might look like it moves a lot more than it did with Chris. Right. I mean, they're going to be a lot more with the shoot guards they have. They're going to be a lot more quick shots, that's for sure. So that might depress the passing numbers. But this is also sort of like the only thing you can grasp at when you lose a star. It's like, well, we're going to move the ball better, and that's going to be how we you know, cover for someone. And you kind of don't really have a choice in the matter. You, that's what you have to do. So I don't know if it's going to – like they have to say that it's going to be a better offense this year. I, it will definitely not be. Um, all right, before we get to predictions, all that good stuff, we want to ask everyone's favorite question on this show. <laughs> I hope you guys have been thinking about this. You've had 20 20- this has stressed me out for so long. Good, good. You've had 25 podcasts to see other people do this. Um, it is, of course, the banana boat question, which, which is – Imagine you're on a banana boat, a la D Wade, LeBron, Carmelo, and uh, the aforementioned Chris Paul, and it's you and three other players from Clippers history that you're hanging out with on the boat, and you can have your reasons for picking your three at any point. But who are those three players from Clippers history that you're picking most? Since it stressed you out a lot more, I want to give you the opportunity to relieve your stress and get your answers down. Well, it's frustrating because. Like I've actually hung out with these guys, never on a That's banana true. boat, yes. but I've had dinner with guys. I've done, you know, I've, I've connected with guys. Um, so it changes on like a daily basis. And then I forget about somebody and I'm like, damn it. No, I need to add him. Um, so just with my three, Deandre Jordan's definitely going to be on there. Cause he's just a fun guy. Uh, he's a kid at heart. Mm-hmm. You know, the dude's going to be 60 and still a kid, you know, and, and, and fun. And he just wants to have fun. Like he's going to make the fun happen. I'm good. I got him for that. I'm going to have Grant Hill okay. with me because I think he's also going to make sure we don't get crazy with the fun. He's the adult you know, of the, the room. He's the adult of the group because I'm sure as hell not going to be. Um, and that third spot has rotated so many different times in, in, in my time. you know. And I think at the end, you know, I, I'm just going to go with my guy. Uh, I got to go with Jamal Crawford just because you know, he gave me a shout out a while back in a press conference and, and and that's my homie and that's great dude, great human being. And all these guys have been great, but it, it's been a very tough decision. Well, Lucas, you have the perhaps drawback or benefit of not having worked with these, with Clippers players in the past. So who are your three? So I'm going to start the same way. I'm going to go DeAndre. Yeah. I think DeAndre is a great guy to, in any environment, just always smiling, always having a good time. He'll keep the mood of the group good. But then I'm going to go in a little bit different direction than Mo, because Mo went with, like, two grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going, to be, I'm going actually all-current, all-current Clippers. I'm going with Blake Griffin second. Okay. Um, because for the opposite reason why Mo went with Grant Hill, because Blake Griffin, I think, is the closest to, like, some frat bro of any current NBA player. You might not want him as your best friend, but if you're going to be raging on a banana boat. What about Chandler Parsons? 
you know, I think Chandler Parsons, when I was thinking about that line, I was like, Chandler Parsons is the other name that comes to mind. But Blake Griffin is definitely, Blake Griffin definitely, if he wasn't a star basketball player, he would have been a frat bro. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think Blake Griffin would probably like break open a can of beer on his forehead and then shotgun it while we're on the boat. <laughs> so that would be fun. Um, and then last, I'm going with my man Milos Teodosic because the dude always looks like he's just been on a binge. <laughs> so, so I want I want to be able to go to the press conference the next day and see him up there looking like he just did some wild wild stuff and know exactly what wild stuff he just did. All right. <laughs> so so you're okay guys with know. cigarette smoke on your because he just looks like a dude that's just like even in between timeouts I feel like he's he's opening up a cigarette. Um, so yeah, you're okay I, with that. I think he'll be smoking probably cigars more than cigarettes. Yeah, he's a little more classy than I think just cigarettes. I would hope. Yeah, um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I want the cigarette smoke around every day, but you know, we're all going to be we're all going to be in an altered state on this banana boat. So I, I don't think I'll mind. Did you guys watch the WNBA uh, finals yesterday? I did not. Oh, okay, because did you? I was going to say. There's a shot of Sylvia Fowles, who's on the links, and they showed a bottle of alcohol in her locker before in the pregame speech as if she knew that they were going to win. Is that going to be Milos? Milos is going to have sort of just that on retainer somewhere. I in think he's going to have that in his hand during the pregame speech. The hand. I think he's going to have it in his locker in a Sunday matinee game in February. <laughs> <laughs> and Europe, you know, this is what we do. <laughs> He's going he's gonna to be having a glass of wine at 10.30 a.m. before shoot-around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good – those are good banana boats. I'm a little surprised. I guess you don't want to think back to the darker years in Clippers history. They've had a number of characters run through that would be very fun to hang out with. Baron Davis, for sure. Yeah, Baron Sam Cassell uh, is a, a popular lot of pick. People, a lot of people came through the list. I mean I, ha- I can come up with 60 different banana boats. Okay, you know who is the people. who are the runners up? You know, Baron was definitely a runner up. Um, it, surprisingly, Hidu Turkulu was a runner up. Oh, I know. You, know, you could. That's a good one. Hidu's a fun dude. Why couldn't you have the uh, 2001 Lamar Odom, Darius Miles, Quentin Richardson combination? It was definitely was definitely one. It was definitely – that itself was its own banana boat. Yeah, because you don't want to divorce them from everybody else. They have to be together. Yeah, no, They if you're going to have one, you got to have all three. Yeah, they're a package deal. I was thinking about going with um, Cat Mobley. Okay. I feel like he's, he's a little bit of class there. It wouldn't have mixed well with, the, like, Blake Griffin – but see, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go, cat, if you're gonna go, Cat Mobley, you gotta have Tim Thomas because they they go hand in hand to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't gonna take Tim Thomas, <laughs> <laughs> so you can't have Cat. <laughs> cat and the player that needed a little more dog. Yeah. Sorry, that was oh, that was really bad. Nice. Um, yeah, no, that's the thing about the Clippers. You gotta have the right combinations. You gotta think about boat chemistry. Yeah. You know, it's like a basketball team. Yeah, that, that's why I think you go Blake and DJ together because then it's like, you know, those guys get along so well. That's they why should you have can't, their own comedy show. The two of them should be a, a sitcom. That's why you can't even consider ever taking Chris Paul on your Clippers history banana boat. Oh, no. <laughs> he'll be watching game film. You don't want that. <laughs> Not on your vacation, he'll be he'll be critiquing your form. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also probably be like barking at you to to spin the boat in a certain direction. Like, oh, they're t- they're ways over there. Like, you got to move it this yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, you have to respect his his banana boat 
uh, veteran status, though. I mean, he's the reason why we have this question. That's him true. And, and the other guys. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Now, which one was – I think Wade was taking the picture and Chris was – Mello. Mello was, was Mello taking too. the picture. Uh, I, yeah. After all these times, I should know this. Um, but anyway, yeah, the Clippers offer a lot of options, but it's true. You do have to have the right combination of Clippers. I mean, if you want to go all the way back, you can talk about some of those loopy San Diego Clippers teams with Bill Walton, World Be Free, and all of those guys. I mean, oh. that was a team of characters. As well, <laughs> Bill, Walton, Bill Walton would be a good banana boat. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually sad I didn't think about him. Yeah, he he would be a great banana boat guy. Yeah, those teams were real kooky back in the day, <laughs> but I don't know if we're talking like uh, only the LA era. So I can understand if they were missed. Um, all right, so let's go through uh, what we think is going to happen this year. I think this is one of the toughest teams in the league to predict. It could go a lot of different ways. So even despite that, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, and ask y'all, are they going to make the playoffs or not? Uh, Mo, yes or no? I'm going to go no. Lucas, I assume you're a yes? yes. Okay. What seed are you looking at? Seven. Seven seed, and that'd be like around mid-40s in the West? Yeah, I'm thinking 46. 46. Mo, what do you think? Yeah, I think they're going to be somewhere around 44. They're just going to miss the cut. The West is so deep. Mm-hmm. So who do you like, so you would have which teams ahead or below them? Like in that it's, like eight seed race or whatever. Yeah, I mean I you look at it and it's just it's gonna be a race between like six or seven different teams of Denver, Minnesota, Portland, the Clippers are in the mix. Um why am I blanking on other teams right now? See, I should I was prepared for this. Memphis. Did you say Memphis? Memphis. Yeah, Memphis is a team. Like there's there's going to be a mix of like New five Orleans. or six teams. New, New Orleans, God knows what happens there. Like six teams for four for the last four spots. And I, I I can see the Clippers having injury issues. There's too many possible things that can go wrong for them, you know, and not, you know, Doc not staggering lineups as well as he should and and causing those kinds of issues. I just think it, it, it's very slim margin of error for all six teams there. And I, I could see them having a, a couple of problems. Yeah, they they failed too many. They have too many ifs for me to pick them to make the playoffs. Like I, I just think I'm pretty pessimistic on this team. One because of all the injury issues, which I know we're not supposed to necessarily account through those, but I mean, come on, look at Gallo and Griffin. They miss t- time every year. I mean, Beverly misses time almost every year. So I think you have to account for that. And then you look at the unbalanced roster, uh, and I'm just I'm still very curious to see what Blake Griffin does this year. I think it's going to be real. Up in the air. You guys had such great points talking about where his career is at. I am skeptical that he can play to the level of his contract after this many injuries. I'm just, you know, if I if he does, I'm going to be thrilled. I think they'll be fun to watch. Like I like watching them. I just, I, I am pretty down on them. I think they're going to be actually well out of the playoff picture. I think I don't see them in the same tier unless everybody stays healthy in a way that they haven't, and I just can't count on that. Uh, Another, The last thing I want to kind of be curious about is, so given what they've done the last five years and given what they could do now, how much of attention have they siphoned off from the other elements, stuff in town, especially now with the Lakers now getting back to being a, a buzzy team because of Lonzo Ball? You know, Do you think they've grabbed enough of the market share in order to sustain them, whether they whether they make the playoffs or whether they just miss it and as they go into their new arena? Do you think that they've done enough of that? Do you think they need to do a lot more? Uh, where are they at, do you think, in the L.A. team pecking order right now? I, 
Go ahead, Lucas. Go ahead, Lucas. <laughs> oh, so so I don't think that they've. I think they've made gains. I think their gains have been marginal. I think it's probably important to note that even when they were the laughing stock Clippers and you know all of that bad stuff that goes on, they were still they still always made money. Well, it's because so, they didn't spend any money too, so that, but, that's but why. I mean, <laughs> but you know that's more than a lot of other. Um, bad teams, bad franchises can say. Yeah, I mean, if you spend, spend no money company. though, then you're gonna make money. It's it's not because you're doing anything. You're not growing revenue. You're just cutting costs. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that like financial viability is an issue in the LA market, but I do think that they've made some like cultural gains within Los Angeles, but it's also still nowhere near anything but like a Lakers town. Um, but, you know, you will see, like, um, when I'm in Los Angeles during the summers, I'll see, you know, I'll work um, with, like, some kids' basketball programs, some high school programs. And kids will wear, like, clipper shirts to their basketball practice, hmm. which is not something that happened when um, when I was, you know, growing up playing high school basketball in, in Los Angeles. And, or, like, I would wear a clipper shirt to school and I get made fun of. And now these kids are wearing, like, clippers jerseys to practice. And it's like, cool, you know, oh, cool Blake Griffin jersey or whatever. And so maybe, you know, a lot of these people, I think, are, like, the more casual fans who are just willing to watch whoever's winning. And they still might consider themselves Lakers fans, but they're not going to watch 60 losses a year. So they're watching the Clippers also. Um, so it's just like these little gains. You see the Clippers gear in stores around LA more now than you used to, maybe in the airport, um, which was never the case before. So it's like just little bits of viability. I think it's the kind of thing that really when you're talking, if you really want to like reverse the culture, even if the Clippers had won a championship with Chris Paul, it wouldn't have reversed the culture. I think that you need, you're talking probably about decades of prolonged relevance and respectability and making slow marginal gains. It's just not something you can do overnight. It's also a risk that if they're bad, you lose a lot of those marginal gains too. And that's why I think this year is going to be really yeah. interesting. Um, where are we at with the downtown arena or, or the Inglewood arena? I know there was a not very good score for environmentally that has slowed them down. There's a lot of opposition. Do you think – is that Mo, is that proceeding according to schedule? And how much of an impact will it make to just have the Clippers in their own building? I mean they they really legit are the – you know, little brother in Staples Center, and I think there's a psychological problem with that. Not even, not even the little brother. It's like the ugly redheaded stepchild that right. you keep in the basement <laughs> because it's really, you know, it's it's the Lakers and it's the Los Angeles Kings Arena, and then it's the Clipper Arena. They, I'm not sure how much progress is we should expect from the 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 Inglewood stuff I think these are all reports that they have to do and they're they're kind of negotiating with Inglewood I don't think they have anything set up I know uh there are issues with the form as well um kind of like right, you don't want right. that there that's right because so I mean that talk about irony uh, a new Clippers building <laughs> getting rid of the iconic Lakers building yeah so there's a lot of issues there so I don't know what happens with that but I think this gives Bomber at the very least leverage when he's trying to renegotiate his his staple center lease with AEG and I know they just redid the locker room but you know for for a while we weren't even allowed to mess around in the locker room so it it, it will it would help a ton to have its own arena but also let's remember we the clippers had their own arena for a while it's a sports arena and it didn't make a difference you know I think they're now they have a practice facility you know I think if they have the new arena they're going to move the practice facility there and and, and kind of have everything in one spot so that would help and make things a lot better. It, it always would improve the 
situation and you would yeah l- stop feeling like the stepchild or anything like that so i do just want to go back real quickly i know we're running out of time but to the point of the how much ha- ground have they covered i mean lucas is right you see more clipper gear people wearing clipper gear and, and i think that's kind of the the chris paul and blake griffin effect of it's okay to wear clipper gear now the uh the thing is though the lakers won 16 championships in their in their time you know and and counting yeah and so it's like you know the even when the lakers were bad people were still watching them you know and i think i read a report you know during that run where the lakers weren't making playoffs and the clippers were you know they were still pulling a higher ratings you know locally than than the clippers even though the clippers were winning so this is always going to be a laker town there's no way to replace that they've made small gains but it's like you guys said it, it's kind of like your raptors uh the toronto raptors where you know the clippers are finally getting relevant you can't just tumble back down to the bottom like they do that they'll lose all those people again all those marginal fans so i think that's kind of where they're at and as we've seen with the football teams in la la is not a market like other markets in terms of even within its sports teams you know there is it is very easy to lose interest in a fan base and to just not – I mean, I know some of it is because L.A. is not a football town, but it's not your typical market. And I think that explains so much of why they have built their team the way they have. And it also is a real risk because if it doesn't work out, then they not only don't have a future, but they don't have a present. So very fascinating team to watch this year, very difficult team to project. Uh, but this has been really fun. Thank you, Mo Dakiel and Lucas Hahn, for coming on this podcast. Mo, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Because you got a podcast of your own. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, uh, Twitter, Twitter at Mo Dakiel, D A K H I L underscore N B A. Uh, you can find all my stuff on the net. You can search the Jump Ball on iTunes for the podcast. Check out the Jump Ball University. Uh, and all that fun stuff, but just follow me on Twitter, and you'll—I tweet constantly about what I do. <laughs> and and Lucas, obviously, Clips Nation, as good as ever, our Clippers site, uh, and you guys should continue to follow him. Two folks who understand not only again the team but the market, and that's one of the big things we're stressing in all these previews. And we are almost done with them. This is twenty-six. You can listen to every team that finished. Worse than the Clippers last year, so it won fewer than 51 or 51 games or fewer by going to the Limited Upside podcast feed. We only got four teams left. We got Boston, Houston, San Antonio, and the Warriors. But until next time, this was a Los Angeles Clippers podcast preview on the Limited Upside podcast. 